Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Stolen Goodbyes podcast with me, Karen Rice. This is being recorded remotely due to the COVID-19 restrictions. Today, I'm joined by Mauro Marquez from Guatemala City, now living in Oklahoma in the States. Mauro lost his mother, Irma, to COVID-19 on January the 10th, 2021. She was 72 years old. She was the mother of seven children, of which Mauro is the youngest, the baby. Welcome, Mauro. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining the podcast. I wanted to begin by asking you about the special relationship that you had with your mother. You said that you were the perfect duo. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, um, my mom was that, you know. So uh, as a deaf person, it was funny because she did not have any speech problems. She actually can speak very well, but she cannot hear. So um, being the youngest of seven kids, basically everywhere, you know, she went, I went with her, you know, like all my youth was going everywhere she went, I was with her. And uh, for the most part, you know, being the son of a deaf person, you learn to speak with your hands a lot, you know, and we do a lot of gestures. But when I would speak with her, I would always lower my voice because she would read the lips, right? So sometimes when I would, like, people would be talking to her, she'd be talking perfectly fine. And then they'll turn around and be like, what's wrong with your son? And they'll ask her that. And then she'll be like, what, what do you mean what's wrong with my son? They're like, well, he talks really funny to you. And she's like, oh, no, no, there's nothing wrong with him. I'm deaf. <laughs> and people were like, really? You're deaf? Like, like they cannot believe the fact that, um, like, because, you know, it's like she, she carried herself so well. You know, she, she was an amazing person, you know. And so basically... You know, growing up, I always said she always told people I was her ears because I would translate everything. Sometimes I didn't have to because she would read the lips, you know, but the times it was difficult. So I was basically the one, like, say, she was crossing the streets, you know, so I kept in, my ears open in case the car was coming. So basically that's kind of how we adopted the, the, the whole um, ideal that I was her ears. And then as I grew older, one time we found, because I was having a lot of headaches, so then they told me, like, you know, go have your eyes checked. So then come to find out I needed to use glasses, right? And then um, I had astigmatism. So then uh, we couldn't afford it to pay the glasses at that, that moment. So then, <laughs> so my mom goes like, so I guess you're blind and I'm deaf, you know, so I can be your eyes and you can be my ears. And that's kind of how everywhere we went, you know, I feel like sometimes she always keep her eyes open and I'll be the one keeping my ears open. <laughs> so it was like, um, like I would say, you know, it's like the perfect, um, relationship that we had growing up probably that's why i was so close to her because uh growing up uh now i appreciate it more than i did back then you know back then it was more like a chore <laughs> like oh i have to go again but there's now it's like all those memories are precious you know they're 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 so have so, so much value now and uh i wish you know like i said she was that was her eyes like I, now that she's gone it's like i feel like i'm blind you were actually born in the States, but yeah. you grew up in Guatemala City. And your mother, I mean, obviously she was mother to seven children, so she was very busy. Also, you know, she had a disadvantage in being deaf, but she also managed to run a butcher shop. Yeah. 
How did um, you manage to do all of that? I guess that's the powers of mothers, you know, the power that a mother has. Uh, because literally, my when I was a kid, my dad used to own two butcher shops. So basically, he was in charge of two, and my mom was in charge of the small one that was by our house. And uh, again, being the youngest one, she would get up like very early in the morning. She, like, we'll take the bus down to the, the main shop and get the meat. And then she'll carry the meat back to, to the little stand that we have at our house. And in between that, she basically fed my older siblings so they had to go to school. And then the oldest ones, um, they actually were already working at that time. So then we had the working ones in the school, and then it was me. And then so in between that, she actually managed to make time to work. But because in Guatemala, we didn't have uh, refrigerators. You know, like things have changed a lot from how they used to be when I was a kid. Uh, we didn't have a refrigerator. We didn't have a gas stove. We did not have uh, all the commodities that we have nowadays. We didn't. So um, we had to go to the market every single day and buy the food for the day on that specific day. So, yeah, so I don't know how she did it, but she managed to do it. You know, like she she basically um, was so meat from the thing was like from 10 in the morning until 12 o'clock. You know, because she had to be home by the time my, my siblings came home from the school. Because usually they, you go to school from 7.30 until 12.30. So by one o'clock, we'll be home or they'll be home. So she had to have lunch ready, you know, and that one day went by that she did not have lunch ready for us. <laughs> you know, so my thing was to just go to school. I used to go get the tortillas while she was making, you know, the, the lunch. And she did. She managed to do that. I mean, you know, when I look back at it now, I'm like, wow, she was a superwoman. <laughs> well, it was basically just a table. And like, I think it was like, there's two tables. And one table, she had all the meat. And then she had like a little cooler underneath the table, the main table. And then she had like a, a scale. And then she had like a, a booth and then uh, a pen. My mom was really smart. Mathematics was her forte. She was really good with numbers. Like literally, she can just add up things in her head like really fast, you know. And people be like, oh, no, you're wrong. And she's like, no, I'm not wrong. So then she like showed them right. And he's like, wow, she was right. Um, so it was, it was a very simple stand. but. Um, you know, they knew they knew her. Like people actually liked coming over there and, and buying from her. Like you know, like she sold the meat like like that. It, it was fast. That's how that's how good people like her. You know, and, and how good how good of a service she provided. them. You know, so I'll be the one, the little kid sitting next to her playing on the ground. You know, and sometimes I will help her. She'll let me help her. Um, but yeah, it was a very simple stand. But in, in, you know, the most amazing thing is like half of those people didn't know she was there. You know, like she would communicate with him so well, um, and um, so yeah, it was like it was a little stand, and, and like I said, she had her bags, and then once she finished, the, you know, the, the meal for the day, we'll basically have whatever there was any leftovers. Um, she'll either make them for lunch for us, or we'll store them in one of my aunt's refrigerators because uh, we did not have our own refrigerator. And then um, it, it was very simple, very easy, you know. And we'll carry everything back to the house, and then the next day we have to carry everything back out again. <laughs> Um, yeah, very different than nowadays, yeah. And how did she learn Spanish Sign Language? I don't think she went to school. I think she, as, as she grew older, she basically, in Guatemala, they give you, um, if you go to a deaf school, they give you a little piece of paper, and it, it shows you all the different vowels and the, the alphabet, and then you basically have to sign the word. You have to spell them out. It's not like in this country where you actually have signals for, for, for word. Only you have to spell the words out. And then she had quite a few friends who were deaf and mute. And then she did not 
want to hang out with her because she felt that if she did, she was going to be limiting herself to her ability. Uh, so she always challenged herself. She was like, no, I, I want to, you know, don't, she, she did not want us to sign with her because she felt that if we did, uh, she was going to get used to it. So she rather actually challenge herself to say, hey, what are you, what are you saying? Let me read your lips, you know? So sometimes, you know, that's going to how she communicated with us. I mean, it was amazing. She was a mother to seven and she was a bus- businesswoman. Yes. Uh-huh. And also self-educated as well. Even when we came to, to the States, it was funny because our landlord couldn't speak Spanish, you know, and my mom couldn't speak English. But yeah, they all spent hours chatting with each other. We're like, how do you guys do it? You know, I was like, do you understand what she's saying? And she's like, oh, yeah. She told me about her kids, you know, her grandkids in Guatemala. And I was like, that is amazing. I'm like, how do you guys do that? And she's like, well, we find a common ground, you know, and that's kind of how we learn with each other. And I was like, well, that's amazing. <laughs> that's really interesting how she became very um, independent, even though she, she was deaf, you know. Growing up, I mean, obviously she managed well. But do you remember any particular difficulties just with regard to, to your mother being deaf? She suffered from a lot of discrimination. People who knew that she was deaf, they would not speak to her so that way, like directly so that so she could read the lips. And then she would she would ask like, "Why you guys are talking about?" And they would just ignore her, you know. Or when she came to school activities, you know, and for for May tenth we have Mother's Day, and then usually we always the students invite the mothers to come over and we make lunch for them, right? Uh, none of the other mothers will talk to her. Like they would just you know cast her out. But she didn't care, you know, because for her, it was just like, you know, I'm here for you guys, you know, not for them. But we could tell that it did have some effect on her, you know. So sometimes she actually felt, you know, small in comparison to them. But she never let that, she never let us see that, you know, even though we knew that was going on. In front of us, she always had this strong persona, and that's probably why we are, who we, how we are now. And that's because she was deaf, you believe? Yeah, that was, that was the main thing, you know, because she always says she, she, her dream was to be able to hear, you know, and, and to be able to, to hear and, and, and be more independent. And that's what she said. She's like, I cannot drive a car because I'm deaf, but if I, if I could hear, I'll be driving a car, you know, I can get a job. And, and, and so her deafness did limit a lot of the things that she wished she could do. Yeah. Can you tell me what her most lovable quality was? She was. A mom. <laughs> so much that her need to be a mom was always there. Like she would help raise two of my nieces, my two older nieces. She raised them herself. And then even though when they grew up, another 21, basically, um, you know, even when I moved out of the house, she would call me and she was like, do you have any laundry for me to do? I'm like, you want to do my laundry? She said, she's like, I want to feel like I, she wanted to feel needed. She wanted to feel like she was still being part of our lives. And or if I would get sick, sometimes she would take the bus. You know, she would ride the bus for two hours just to give me food. And then she would walk to my door and she's like, okay, I gave you food. I saw you, give me a kiss, and then she'll leave. You know, and I was like, I was like, how many moms do that? You know, it's like, it's, uh, she was good at being a mom, you know? Tell me about her relationship with her cell phone. Oh, <laughs> it was so interesting because I, I don't even know when she discovered that passion, but uh, one day she just started texting people and then she started texting and, and, you know, at first it was like, okay, she's learning, you know, but then as time went on, I found out that she actually was connecting with my cousins and my uncles and her brothers from Guatemala. 
all of a sudden she's like, she's one day she says, she's like, she's like, do you have WhatsApp? And I'm like, what? She's like, what's up? So we can teach that, you know? And I was like, I was like, mom, like who, who has that? And then she's like, oh, we do it. And so she basically, they actually had a group with um, my older siblings and that's what she'll actually go and talk to them. Like, she'll do FaceTime with them. And, and like I always tell people, the most beautiful thing is like one day out of the blue, she says her text message, right? So I open it and then, uh, <laughs> and it's like a picture of herself. And then, you know, it's like, and it's, she put down, and the first thing is like she couldn't speak English, right? But she learned how to say it's a selfie. She never, she did not even say it in Spanish. She said it in English. She's like, it's a selfie. And I'm like, what is that? She's like, it's a selfie. I want you to send me a selfie. So I was like, now. So I said, I took a picture of one of my dogs and I sent it to her. She says, I told you, I want a selfie, not you dog. She's like, this is a selfie. So she takes another picture of herself. You know, and it, it, she knew that I loved that. And it was funny because she did that, not just with me, she did that with everybody. You know, like, like now that she passed away, we started getting um, people, you know, putting pictures of herself hair that she sent them. So um, for someone who, who literally was so afraid of technology, she found the positive in technology and she made her age, her, 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 her age and that's how she, Literally kept in touch with everybody. I mean, I was surprised on how many people she had more friends than I do, you know? Like she was constantly on the phone and we're like, Mom, you're worse than a teenager. And she's like, Well, I'm talking to so and so, hold on. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so we understood that because being there for such a long time and then all of a sudden being able to communicate with people, she made the most of it. You know, she, I was very proud of her. So once we got text messaging, it was like, you know, it made the whole world easier for her. Because then she could have, uh, you know, a constant back and forth. And, and, and that made her feel, you know, that she was part of something. And I think that's what she wanted. Wonderful. Tell me how your mother fell ill. Mama suffered from um, COPD, which is like, um, you know, for the pulmonary disease for the last two years. So she always had issues with her lungs, right? And uh, once COVID started happening, we basically, she secluded herself. She did not even leave the, the house at all. For the last nine months, she was indoors. We don't know at what point or what time she actually contracted it. But in December 18, she was coughing a lot. So we thought maybe she had the flu, you know, or maybe, you know, just her, her COPD affecting her. We thought maybe it was a cold, you know, she had a cold, or, you know, or the flu. But then she, her lungs started building up. She could tell that she had a lot of built up phlegm. And then, uh, she basically got worse to the point that she's like, she's like, well, I have nausea. I have headaches, you know, and I'm feeling really weak and I'm having a hard time breathing. And I, she kept on coughing, but nothing will come out. So, uh, on the 18th of December of 2020, she was like, you know what? Take me to the emergency. She told my sister that who she lived with. Uh, take me to the emergency because I, I'm, I don't feel good. So then they took her into the emergency. And um, the worst part was because she was deaf and she could not speak English, she was basically in the dark. Like she did not know what they were doing to her. She did not know. And, and because of COVID, we were not allowed to go in there with her. So she was on uh, her own? Yeah, she was on her own. Basically. She couldn't understand English, really. Obviously. No, and she couldn't read lips because people had the mask. And so, so there was a lot of, um, a, there was a lack of communication between the hospital and her. So for a whole week, they told us that she was 
are COVID positive, she tested positive for COVID, and then that they were gonna do um, convalescent plasma treatment. And then uh, she agreed to it, and she said that, you know, she heard good things about it. Uh, so she stayed in the hospital for three days, and then she was sent home, basically. And that was like around uh, Christmas time last year. Then uh, a week after, right, a week exactly after that she got discharged from the hospital, she um, couldn't breathe. Like she was really going into uh, uh, hypoxia, basically. And uh, she couldn't even get out of the bed. Her heart was hurting a lot. And then so we had to call the ambulance to come get her. And uh, she got admitted to the same hospital. Once she was there, they found out that her lungs were really badly inflammated. And uh, they said, we don't have the technology here. We have to transfer her to another hospital. And uh, we, it kind of worked out because she was at uh, the first hospital was near my sister. The second hospital was near my house. So I was actually like five minutes from here. So they, they transferred her and then they found out that her sodium was really low. And they said that she had pneumonia, COVID pneumonia, uh, pneumonia due to COVID. So then they, they treated her really good. And, um, and do you, and you think obviously that anybody with a disability, you know, who's deaf or maybe blind or whatever it is, that they should have some sort of representation in terms of being able to communicate what they're going through? Well, they, which normally they do. Yeah. They have like, they have a translator or like, you know, someone who translates, but because of COVID, they're not allowing anybody, right. you know? Mm-hmm. And then to me, it's just like saying, you know what? The same way nurses are risking their life. If it's my, like say, if it's my mother, if I catch COVID, if I would have catched COVID from her, then you know what? It's my mother, you yeah. know? Yeah. I don't care, but I want to be there with her and, the fact that they didn't allow us to do that, it, it hurts, you know, and it's hurt because things, I feel like the outcome couldn't be different if someone would have been there with her, you know, because there's so much that we don't know. And there's so much that she didn't even know, Yeah, you know, and that's not right. You know, if she has a, she has the right to get the best medical care as everybody else does. And she didn't. I think it was on around January 31st, December 31st, last when she got admitted into the hospital. This, uh, the one over here, and then on from the January first, second, and third, she was basically like again, she had no communication with the nurses. They were they were just guessing, and because they couldn't talk to her. Did you have any communication with her? No. At that time, no. Uh, no, because uh, when my when the, the when the emergency the ambulance took her to the emergency room, she did not take her cell phone with her. So then that was one of the issues that we had with the hospital because we were trying to fight with them because we we're like, she cannot be on her own. You know, she needs to have a way to communicate with us. We're the ones who translate for her. Uh, and they kept on telling us, no, because she has COVID and, you know, there's no way, and, you know, we don't want you guys getting sick. And we're like, we're not sick right now. What, what makes you think we're going to get sick then? So on January the 2nd, when my sister took her cell phone, basically, um, my mom started complaining that her stomach was burning. And she complained that um, she had nausea. And then she said that they gave her two shots for the nausea, and that created a lot of uh, gastric acid. So her stomach started, like, literally burned her stomach. So on January the 3rd, we were allowed to go in there. They, they removed her from isolation, 
And then she was moved from isolation into a regular ICU, and then we were allowed to be with her. So my sister was with her in the mornings, and I was with her in the afternoons. How was that encounter when you saw her? Heartbreaking. I guess, I guess it could have been worse. But at the same time, the thing about my mom, she always remained positive till the end, you know? And a lot of times I wondered if she did that because of us, because she knew she was trying to be strong for us and she knew what was going to happen, or if she actually believed that she, that there was some hope, you know? She never complained of a single pain. She never complained about anything. She looked good. She looked beautiful, you know? I mean, she looked, she didn't look sick at all. Like when we see her, like I, I took pictures of her and I was just like, she looks beautiful. She doesn't even look sick, you know? We were trying to, uh, to, to adjust to see what was going on. And because she looked so well and she did not complain. And, and the thing that she told us every single day, she says, you know what? Little by little, I'm going to get better. She says, I'm going to get a little better today. A little get better tomorrow. And then when you guys notice, I'm going to be, I'm going to go home. So we had that, that mindset, you know, that, that things were getting better, you know, and we talked to the doctors and, uh, you know, they gave us this false hope, basically, you know, they, they, they gave us a, a half truth of what the situation was. And I think that that's, that's the part that made everything more difficult to deal with because they were not honest with us from the get-go, you know, and now we hang on to this hope and, and that was not even there, you know. And that's, that's probably what, um, what hurts so much is that we feel like if we would have known how things were going, that would be what, if we, if we knew what was going to happen, we would have enjoyed our time with her in a different way than what we did. You know, we hang on to the hope and, and in our minds, she was going to make it because they called and they told us that she was going to be transferred on the eighth. They were going to transfer her to a rehabilitation place. So we're like, oh, well, she's doing much better, right? And then uh, on the 9th, everything just started going downhill. And uh, there's just so many questions that we have, you know. And uh, like I told my sister, we're lucky that we were able to be with her, you know, through her last days of life. And that's probably why we question a lot of things that happen, you know. For example, my mom, she stopped, she stopped texting people four days before she passed away. And on the 9th at 4.30 in the morning, she sent a text message to my sister asking her to please hurry up to come see her at the hospital because they were killing her. And then she sent a message to my other sister telling her that they had cut down her oxygen. And then uh, she sent a message to one of her friends saying that they had cut down her oxygen so she needed help. And then uh, that the nurse was not coming to help her. And then um, when we showed up that morning on the night, um, my mom was, because she went to, excuse me, she took a picture to my, to, uh, on her cell phone and she sent it to my sister at 4.30 in the morning. She looked beautiful. The way she looked when we walked in the room at 7.30 in the morning, it was not the same person. She looked like someone had dragged her under a bus, literally. And then uh, they gave her some morphine and they sedated her. So we couldn't even talk to her. And we told her, I said, you know what? We don't want you guys to give my mom morphine. Because again, in our minds, we thought that she was getting better. And um, they told us that she had had a very difficult night, that she was having a hard time breathing all throughout the night. 
which very much what we knew because we kept we, every hour we called the nurse and we're like, hey, how's my mom doing? And they're like, oh, she's sleeping now. She's resting. She's sleeping fine. So we're like, if she had a hard time sleeping, why wouldn't we call and inform of that? You know, why do you guys wait until seven thirty in the morning to tell us that you guys want to intubate her? And that's why you guys, you guys want us to come over. And they're like, oh, we don't know. It's like, that's all, that's all they kept on telling us. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And we're like, well, someone has the answers. That's what we want, you know? And we're like, they're like, well, we don't know. We were not here. Can we get somebody that was here to give us the answers? No, sorry. No, we can't. And you got to the point that um, we told them, so you know what? The only person that can tell us what happened here was my mom. Is my mom. So don't give her any morphine. They, they actually told us that they were giving her insulin for, for her sugar. And they actually gave her morphine. <laughs> So then we decided that around three o'clock, we were like, you know what? If this is what's going to happen, we want to prolong it as long as, as long as she wants to fight. You know, we're not the ones making that decision for her. So then they, they, they told us that, that she was going to continue getting all the care that she had been getting until we decided that it was time. Well, that afternoon on, the, on January the 9th, around... 9.30 in the evening, at night, they walk in the room and they unplug everything from her. They literally unplug everything. And we're like, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we're, we're told to do it. The doctor put the order. And we're like, no, we're not supposed to do this until we tell them. They're like, well, we, are, we already got the orders. And then we spend the whole night of the 9th to the 10th fighting with them because we're like, they promised us one thing. They promised that they were going to continue giving them on the same chair. Now she's basically, you know, on her own. Like they literally took all the, all the, um, the medications that were given her, all the sodium they were giving, everything. But then the funny thing is they actually kept on coming every half an hour. They would come in the room and they, they prepared to, to check her sugar level. And also to check her sodium. And we're like, why are you doing that for? Like, what's the whole point? You know, you told you want to make her comfortable, but that's not making her comfortable because every time you pinch her, she reacts. And then nobody would answer to us. Like, literally, we got harassed. Like, when my sister and I, we were like, you know what? We're going to stay here. We're going to spend the night with her. If something happened and we don't know what happened, and we need to find out. And again, in our minds, we thought that our mom was going to wake up again. We were hoping that she was going to wake up. And all throughout that day, the only time my mom opened her eyes was when my sister and I sat down and she actually opened her eyes and she looked to the side, she looked at my sister and then she told her, she's like, hi, my love. Like she always did, you know, and then to ask for water. And then, uh, and the other time, you know, like she, she was basically dying in front of us and we did not even know that. Like, you know, and the whole, the hospital kept walking in the room telling us that they want her on morphine. To a certain point, literally, we got into a fight with them because we're like, we give her morphine when she's ready, you know, when, when we know. But then they were, they kept on insisting like we were being bad, bad children because we should, we should not let our mother suffer like that. And we're like, we don't know she's suffering, you know? So then on December, on January 10th, at seven o'clock, uh, her doctor walked in the room and then she basically told us that, um, that she wanted to move my mom to hospice. And um, we were like, okay, so it, this is the end. This is the end, you know? 
But I told him, I said, you know, I want you guys to move her to another room. I don't want her to be in this room because we have had so many negativity. And at least if we're going to spend a couple of days, a couple of hours with her, we want to enjoy that time for her to be with us. So um, at that moment, we were already preparing ourselves. Like, you know what? We're going to make the most of these hours. Well, they moved her to another room. And uh, when we thought that we we're going to have our time to say our goodbyes, they basically took her up, you know, she took, she took to bed and then she died. <laughs> Oh, my God. So, I'm sorry. So, it's like, um, we didn't even get a chance to say goodbye, you know? It's like, um, we spent the whole night fighting with them, and they're making it so difficult for us. And we're like, if you knew she was going to die, why didn't you guys give us our time? Why didn't you guys just let us be with her, you know? And instead, it's like, they kept on coming in the room and making it difficult. And when we finally say, you know what, if she's going to die, she's going to die, but please give us our time with her. And they didn't even do that. They didn't even allow us to do that. How do you feel about the fact you couldn't say goodbye to your mother? Angry. I feel that the, the system has let me down. I feel that the doctors that she trusted so much, we trusted them with our mom. And they let us down. The one thing I told the nurses and the doctors before I left, I was like, you know what? I don't wish this on anybody else. I said, what you guys did to us is something I don't wish. Even as much as they upset me and they made me mad, I was like, I don't wish this upon you or your kids or the kids of your kids. I said, it's, it's, it's a pain that every single day gets more difficult to deal with, you know? It becomes heavier and heavier because that's not the way you wanted to say goodbye to your mom, you know? At least we now want to say goodbye to her like that. It sounds like she deserved a much better ending. She did. And thank you. That's exactly what I told him. I said, you know what? She was a great person. She was an excellent mother. You could do, and you know, even the worst person in the world does not deserve that kind of ending. Even the, the worst person in the world does not deserve that kind of send-off, you know? Everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. And they did not do that with my mom. And, and uh, to the point that even when I was asking the names of the doctors, they were like, oh, we cannot give you the name of the doctor. Why not? Why are you hiding, you know? And I was like, you know what? My mom deserves so much better than that. So much better than that. And that's what hurts the most. Were you able to give her a funeral, Mara? We're still working on that right now, actually. We're still uh, trying to finalize. Because she wanted to be buried in Guatemala with my dad. And um, because of the fact that she... So right now we were waiting for the doctor's um, death certificate and hoping that it would say that there was no COVID, that she died from, from the LCPD, the COPD. Um, but unfortunately, they put COVID as a dead cause of death. So then Guatemala does not accept anybody's, anybody that passed away with COVID. So now we have to bury her in here. And uh, that's another thing we feel like, like, I feel like, hey, COVID has stole her life. Now it's still in her last wishes, you know? And that's, uh, that's something, as a son, it makes it really difficult because that's not what you want for your parents, you know? Like I told them, I said, she's dead. 
she's not going to be infecting anybody in Guatemala, you know? What difference does it make? I mean, the, 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 the coffin is sealed and the, the refusal, you know? And that's something that a lot of people don't understand how it's different for those of us who lost a member of COVID to those people who lose somebody that doesn't have COVID. It's, it's a very different experience. And it's, it's difficult, you know, because we did not want our mom to be by herself in the cemetery here. And now everything's had to change. So we haven't had a closure yet. We're still having to deal with the consequences of this. If you could go back now and change anything, what would it be? If I knew that things were going to be the way they are, the last, not, the last nine months, I would have taken my mom everywhere she wanted to go. I would have had her live her life to the fullest. If I would have known that this is going to happen, instead of her being inside a house, afraid of the world, I would have taken her and said, you know what, let's enjoy every minute. Let's spend every hour that we have with each other. You know, that's what I would have done. And that's what my sister agreed. She said, I would have done the same thing, you know, like take her everywhere she wanted to go, you know, eat everything she wanted to eat, you know, buy her clothes, buy her whatever, but live life, you know, and, and that's what hurts so much is like she spent the last nine months of her life in the house trying not to get sick and then she gets sick and then she dies, you know, and that's the most difficult part there. We just cannot accept that, you know, it's like, why her? You know, it's like we took care of her and, and we were this to happen. So if I could change something, that's what I would change, you know? I mean, I would give her the best nine months of her life, you know? What would you have done? Where would you have gone? Take her everywhere, you know? Like, treat her to everything she wanted to be treated. Spend time with her. Spend as much time with her, you know? And instead of just keeping myself away because I was like, maybe I have it. I don't want to give it to her. So I didn't even go see her. You know, so she's, she spent the last nine months in a very lonely, living a lonely life away from everybody. And then she was gone in a week. That's very difficult. What's the most important message that you want to share with the world? Love your family and your parents like it's your last day. Make them happy. You know, make yourself happy. Try to spend as much time and suck in all the love that they have for you. Because when it's gone, you know, that's all you have left with you. It's, it's, it's just that, you know? I mean, don't take any minute for granted because parents are precious. You know, we try to protect her and then we end up losing her. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.